Anybody ready for the Super Bowl? Yeah? Okay. So I did a little uh, Super Bowl research this week, a little trivia for you. Uh, here's the first question. Um, how many times in the Bible is the word patriot used? Zero. Okay. So what that means is that God doesn't like that team. I'm just, okay. Now, how many times is the word cult used in the Bible? It's a holy number. 18. Kind of like Peyton Manning. 18. I'm just, you know. Okay. Um, How many times is the word 49ers used in the Bible? Zero. How many times is the word Chiefs used? 96 times. So, hey, I'm just telling you, I'm picking the Chiefs, okay? Uh, that, that's me. Uh, that's, in, that's what it says in my head. My heart is still for the Colts. Lord bless our Colts because they need a lot of help. Um, hey, we're so glad you're here this morning. We're in our series called Reset. Uh, week one, we talked about resetting our life with God. You can go online if you want to listen to that. Uh, also, uh, last week we talked about resetting our relationships and in particular marriages. And we did a survey this week. No one got divorced at the jar. Okay. So that means I didn't mess that up too much. And so we're glad about that. And if you remember last week, what we talked about was this image of what it means to fight for oneness. And we said that whether you're single, whether you're uh, dating, uh, whether you're living with somebody, if you're married, the reality is we all want to finally get to the point where we want to get beyond just going through the motions and we actually want to make a commitment to actually working towards oneness. And uh, we find in marriage that the most important thing you can do is that you work together to be able to fight for oneness. The, the whole concept that two became one. Uh, there's actually uh, a Hebrew word. Uh, the word is ahad. And what it means is one. And at the very beginning, uh, it said that God is one. It's not multiple gods. There's just one God. But also that we really want our relationships to be one also. Now, there is one disruptive force. It may be the biggest disruptive force to oneness in relationships itself. And this is what it is right here. We change that one to a dollar sign. Money, more than anything else, can be a disruptive force in relationships, regardless of what that relationship is. It can be very disruptive. Now, some of you are here for the very first time, and I already know what's going through your head. And you're thinking to yourself, I finally have the guts to come to church, and they're talking about money. Okay? Well, I want you to know we don't talk about money all the time. Next week, we're going to be talking about something that you spend a third of your life at. Work. And how do we reset our work relationships and make those better? So you'll want to come uh, next week. You can't leave now. Guard the doors, okay? Don't let anyone out. But uh, today what we want to do is we want to talk about money. I hope it's in a way that's going to be helpful to your own personal uh, life and your finances. Now, uh, the truth is money is all around us. We talk about it all the time. And the Super Bowl is just one example of that. For example... Uh, I want you to turn to the person beside you 
And I want you to guess how much money will be spent on commercials at the Super Bowl. Okay? So go ahead, figure out a number real quick. Okay. So I have the number, okay? And here's the number right here. $5.6 million. Now, do you know what that means? Doritos is going to have to sell a lot of Doritos. That's what it means. You're going to have to sell a lot. And this is what's interesting to me. They are planning on a hundred commercial slots. Okay? So there'll be a hundred of these. And you multiply it times that number, you're at a half a trillion dollars that's going to be spent in 10 hours. Because that's how long the Super Bowl takes, right? I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. Now, I figured this out. You take that number and you divide it by 30 seconds per second. Guess what the number is? $186,000 per second. That's what they're going to do. And so when we think about the Super Bowl, it just kind of talks about our culture as well, that we're always kind of talking about money. Folks, money is always around us. The problem is, is that many of us don't know how to engage with it. And what we've done is we bought into the lies of the culture. And if you don't choose how you engage with money, the culture will choose that for you. And whether we like it or not, um, how we deal with our money, it affects us relationally and physically and emotionally and spiritually. Now, the good news is, is that there are scriptures that help us to learn how to utilize our money and handle it and have a right relationship with it. So this morning, I simply want us to try to answer this question right here. What is the biblical perspective on how you and I are to engage with our finances? How are we to engage with our finances. Now, in order to do this, I want us to look at a passage this morning from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. Let me give you a little background about Timothy. So this guy named Paul, who wrote close to half of the New Testament, he uh, got together some apprentices. He was the mentor, and he had some mentees. And one of these mentees was Timothy. And he invests a lot of time and effort into him to talk about what it means to be a human being, what it actually uh, means to be a person who honors God. And he also talks to him about the importance of using money in a wise way. And so in First uh, Timothy, this is what it says. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, as far as I can see, Everyone has clothing on today, right? So that's good. You know what I mean? Uh, come in. You got your clothes. And most of you are able to eat today. Um, in fact, all of you have food and clothing. So it's like, hey, we're good to go. This is the problem, folks, that we run into, is that we're not content. We're not content with what we have. That's why it says godliness with Contentment creates great gain. Folks, we have kind of given into the myth that if you want to be happy, 
If you genuinely want to be financially free, this is the issue. You gotta have more. You need more than what you have right now. What you have right now is not enough. You know, I hope that all of you will memorize just this first line. You should teach it to your kids. This is one of the things we teach to Jordan and Shiloh. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So let's all read this out loud together on three. One, two, three. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So what do we mean by godliness? Godliness is simply having a willful kind of choice to conform your life to God's ideal. You're choosing willfully to conform your one and only life to God's ideal. But it's not just godliness, but there's another phrase to that as well, and it's what? Contentment. In fact, it's kind of like, if you think about it, it's an equation. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Godliness, I willfully choose to conform my life to God's ideal. Contentment, what does that mean? Contentment uh, actually is kind of a unique kind of word. Uh, uh, contentment means that I live within my means joyfully. Oh, some of you. I live within my means, how? Joyfully. Some of like, uh, joyfully. Because this is what I found. There are some people that live within their means, but they're not joyful. I don't have enough money, but I have enough. Okay? They live within their means. They're just not joyful. There's other people over here. They're joyful. They're free spirits. Whatever. Guess what? They ain't living within their means. Contentment says you have to have both. You have to live within your means joyfully. That's when it's best. And when these two come together, when you have godliness plus contentment, that's when there is a sense of great gain in your life. Now, in order to live out this formula, the equation you have to understand is where does money come from? At the end of the day, what is my understanding of this? You see, Scripture, in the very first verse of the Bible, this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the very, very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything, everything that we have is a gift from God. Scripture says that the earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it, that everything belongs to him. So I want to kind of graphically uh, give you kind of an expression of what this looks like today. First of all, and this is your first fill-in, you can fill in in the program or on the JAR app as well, but here it is, is that God gives. That's the beginning of all things, the very first verse. God created, He gave, He gives everything to us. You see, there is a great giver in the universe, and His name is God, and He loves to give. But when He gives it to us, He desires that we actually would have the next uh, piece here, good stewardship. That we would actually be good stewards with what 
we have. Now, what is stewardship? Well, stewardship is kind of a unique word uh, in the Greek language. I don't know a lot about Greek. Um, I did my best in seminary, just kind of got through. But uh, I know some. And what this word is, is the Greek word okonomia. See, I can't even hardly say it. Okonomia. Okay. Now, this is what's interesting when you're translating Greek to English, is that sometimes there are letters that you can change out. And so O-I's, when you're translating it to English, actually becomes an E. And so when you translate it to English, it actually becomes economia. What does that sound like? Economy, right? Or economics. That's what it's talking about. So biblical stewardship is about God giving us something, and then we're entrusted to be able to use it in a wise way for his honor and for his glory. Um, So let me say that again. Stewardship is when you're entrusted with what God gives you to rule over through his resources and his glory. Now, if any of you were to pull out a dollar bill or a $5 bill, $10 bill, some of you people up in the balcony kind of snooty, $50 $50 bills. We know how you work. Sorry, balcony people just had to give you our time. But if you were to look at any of those bills, there's something that is on every bill that we have as a country. And the words are in what? Yeah, in God we trust. In God we trust. So I love that. I think it's beautiful. I think it's great. But what I want you to know that when it comes to stewardship, When it comes to this concept of being a good steward, what it basically is saying is that God has entrusted you and you and you and all of the balcony people and myself with resources and to rule over the money that he's given to us. And so every time on the first of the month or the 15th of the month or if you get paid weekly or every other week, Or maybe you are a server in a restaurant, and at the end of the day, you get all of your tips and you put them together. What God is saying is, I trust you to rule over this amount of resources for my glory and my good. So, back to our chart. So what we find is that God gives everything to us. Then he calls us to be a good steward with that kind of economy, that we would use it in the wisest way. And then today I want to talk about three kind of biblical ways of stewardship that I think will help your life and your finances if you practice them. The very first one is what I want to call serving. Serving. Now, what do I mean by serving? Serving is about investing in eternity. It's about investing in the good news. It's about investing in the local church. It's about investing in heaven. I mean, the reality is, all of your loved ones and people that you know at work, who you have good relationships with, you want to see them not just here on earth, but in heaven as well. And so there's this concept of how we invest in that. And in the Old Testament, they created a concept called tithe. And what that word actually means, tithe, actually means tenth or ten percent. And so what they would say is, um, hey, 
God gives everything to you. And so from that, then we call on you to make the first priority of everything is to give thanks back to God, to actually give the very first part off of the top to him. And every single time those little bags go by or you do it online, it's a priority test. What are the priorities that are in your life? And this is the way that God would kind of test the Jewish people. He said, you test me in this. You give to me this first and don't see if I don't pour out blessings in your life. So there is this idea of serving or giving or investing in heaven. Now, the next kind of word uh, is what we call saving, saving. And scripture speaks a lot to the concept of saving. And one of the things that I have kind of taught here from day one is that you should work towards or get to the point where you're serving or you're giving 10% to the local church. And then you're saving back, uh, if you go to the next one, 10% of that as well. And so you're thinking, you're a crazy bunch, I'm just barely making it. And so this is why I tell people all the time, wherever you're at, if you give up Starbucks for a year, you'll get at least 1% of your income. Just just 1% because it's expensive or eating in general. And so start somewhere, even if it's 1% that you start saving for your future. Now, when you flip through scriptures, the thing is, is that actually God wants to encourage us to be savers, not hoarders, but savers. And King Solomon, the wisest man in the Old Testament, actually compares the importance of saving to an ant. He says, if you can be as wise and as smart as an ant, your life will be greatly impacted. And this is what it says uh, in Proverbs 6. Watch the ants. Learn from their ways. They labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. Now, let me ask you this question. How often does winter come to the Midwest? Every year, right? Comes every year. Now, the first celebration people were really kind of not very smart, Um He said, well, it comes too much. I said, well, I don't know what to tell you, but it comes once a year no matter what, you know. Now, let me ask you this. How often do you have surprises or emergencies that happen to your life? At least once a year, maybe more than that, right? Does stuff just kind of go the wrong way every once in a while? For example, uh, my wife Jennifer and I, we moved into our house 12 years ago. And I was so excited about moving into our house because the people who we bought the house off, the guy actually built the house. And he was a plumber. And I kept thinking to myself, you know what? We might have some issues, but we will never have plumbing issues. You know where I'm going, don't you? A year from buying the house, our entire crawl space filled up with water. You know where the guy was that we bought our house? Florida. He didn't care about me. Um, seriously, that happened. One day we came home and there's water coming through the roof, 
one of the pipes had bust and there's water. Like, what's going on? A couple years after that, he even told us, this water heater, it's going to last you forever. Three years after we had it, water heater dead, nothing working whatsoever. We're freezing to death in the shower. A couple years after that, I look at my water bill one day and it's double the amount of what it should be. All of the hardware and all of our toilets had to be replaced because they were breaking down. Now, if that's not bad enough, uh, last year we go outside and our yard is starting to flood. One of the spigots had torn off, had water going everywhere. And just a couple of weeks ago, a lift rod, look how smart I am. I had to look that up. A lift rod in our downstairs bathroom broke. (laughs) And if you've ever been to the jar or you're here for the first time, I can't pick squat. So um, I was like, well, babe, you know, just pull that little plugger out, leave it out and, you know, do the best you can. But that's it. And so we had to pay to get that done to replace it. Now, this is the point. I don't know what kind of plumbing business that guy had, but this is what I do know. He was not a good plumber. (laughs) Now people in Florida, they're like, yeah, we know. You know, he's probably doing stuff for them. Oh, yeah, I can fix that. All right. Well, folks, am I the only one who ever experiences this? Things break. Things conk out. Things don't quite work the way they used to. The Bible says that if you can match the brain power of an ant, don't make any comments to the people beside you, okay? But if you can match the brain power of an ant and you put savings aside when emergencies happen in your life, it doesn't destroy you and you're not caught off guard. Because when you have an emergency fund, you can take care of this stuff. You know, with an emergency fund, this is what I found with people. They're, they don't stress out as much. They're not as tense. They don't like to have to pay for whatever it is. But, hey, you know what? Life happens. Stuff breaks. We'll figure it out because we have a fund. But when people don't have an emergency fund, and I see this happen all the time, they start fighting with each other and they're mad and they're overwhelmed and they're stressing out and there's tension and they go out and they have to get loans and some people put it on their credit card and it's like 20% interest and you just get further and further and further behind and it affects you folks it affects you emotionally and physically and relationally and spiritually That's why the idea of saving is so important. That if we can look at these little insects and we can see that they save for the winter, you and I should be a part of that as well. So, uh, if we go back to our chart, we'll see that serving 10%, saving 10%, and then finally spending. spending. Now, if uh, you have 10% and 10%, what does that equal? 20%. Now, how much left do you have to spend on yourself? How much? 80. 80% that you could do. Now, 80% is a lot. You know, when I was in class, you know, as a student, if I got 80%, man, whoo, you know, it was a celebration. Um, But this is what I found. Most people are not content with 80%. 
80% is just not enough. I need more. That's why most Americans, they live their life on like 110%. Wait, some of you I don't think heard that. Most Americans live their life on 110%. They just want more than what they have. Because what they have, although it's good, it's just not enough. Philippians 4.11 says these words. I have learned to be content. What's the next word? Now, some people say whatever like this. Whatever. This is not that. This is I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Whatever goes on, I'll be content with where I'm at. And I've learned to live within my means. How? How do you live within your means? <laughs> like two people, joyfully. Uh, how do you live within your means? Joyfully. That's when you know you're content. So, when you're at Kohl's and you see those big kind of, you know, seductive numbers that say, save 70. My wife used to my wife, Jennifer, she'd come home, she'd go, hey, I went shopping today. I was like, oh, that's great. She goes, hey, I saved you a lot of money. Okay, so you stayed home. No, 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 no. I went to Kohl's. So every time you go by Kohl's, you've got to be content. Uh, refrigerator, you go to your refrigerator. You look in there and you're like, ah, man, I got nothing to eat. You have a whole refrigerator to eat. But what do you do? You go, I got nothing to eat. I'm going to go somewhere else out to eat. And then all of a sudden, you're not content. It's very expensive. Uh, the guy that lives beside me, he works for Gaddis. Great guy. I love him. But he always has new cars. I don't like that he always has new cars. I drive a 2002 Suburban. And this week... I got all of the tires changed. Had to take a loan out for, I'm joking, but you know, tires are expensive. And it was leaking oil, so I said, hey, can you fix that? Nope. I said, you can't fix it. I said, well, what can I do? Add more oil. I said, well, like, how often? Regularly. I said, well, can you get it fixed? And I said, oh yeah, but it'll be, it'll cost you thousands of dollars. <laughs> So this is me. I want to be content. I went to the auto store and I said, do you have cases of oil? And the dude said, yeah, I do. And uh, a buddy in uh, our church, uh, he's a mechanic, and he said, now you got to get this seal thing and you got to get some oil and you mix those together. And, you know, it's still going to leak, but it'll, it'll take some time. And I said, well, I want to run it until it dies. Because at least with cars, there's other areas of my life that I don't, don't do it. But with cars, folks... I'm content. Folks, Scripture teaches us to be content. But most Americans, most of us never are. For most of us, 80% is just not enough. We've got to have more. Now, this is the problem, too. If you pull it back up again, guys, uh, the whole... Um, yep. That, for us, this 80%, we think is like, oh, gosh, I only got 80%. No, no, no. God wants you to enjoy, celebrate, have all kinds of fun with what that is. He's not like a, you know, a, a kind of beat you down kind of God. But 
He wants you to live within your means and to live joyfully doing that. One thing I find fascinating with people is that many times they're acquiring stuff that they can't take to the next life. They just get all kinds of stuff. I remember this lady I knew. She had more Longenberger baskets. Remember when that was the big phase? She had more Longenberger. Like, she had $50,000. She would tell me, like, oh, this one's $2,000. And I'm like, what are you going to do when you die? <laughs> and this is when I was a young pastor. Never asked that question. But I said, what are you going to do when you die? She goes, don't, talk, don't, don't ask me that question. And folks, we, we do this. I'm telling you, you're not going to be able to take your shoe collection to heaven. Okay? You're not going to be able to take your gun collection, you hunters, to heaven. You're not going to be able to take your favorite jeans to heaven. You're not going to be able to take any of your sports memorabilia to heaven. I mean, truth be told, we entered this world one day, one way, and we're going out the same way. And then it gives you perspective when it comes to spending. So, let's go back to our mathematical formula again, and let's review ourselves. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Godliness. I willfully choose to conform my life to God's ideal. Contentment. I live within my means. How? Joyfully. You're getting a little bit better. Okay. And you should be asking, well, what's the gain then? What is the great gain that I receive? Folks, every one of us should be asking that question if you do this plan, if you do this formula. What do I gain? Well, you do gain something. In fact, this is what I believe, that every religious person, every atheist, every agnostic, every Christian, every other world religious person would actually choose to, if you put them together like in a pub or you put them into a gather in a restaurant and you said, we've got to leave from this place agreeing upon one thing. I'm telling you, there's one thing they would agree upon. And Jesus actually gave us these words, but then Paul actually wrote them for us in Acts. And this is what it says. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, when it comes to charitable giving, regardless of your background, these different religions believe this. How do I know? Because this week I looked at some religious study. And this is what we found. Buddha, in Buddhism, this is what he said. Teach this triple truth to all. A generous heart, kind speech, and a life of service and compassion are the things which renew humanity. Uh, Hinduism, this Hindu proverb says this. They who give have all things. They who withhold have nothing. Even in Islam, in the Quran, this is one of the things it says. You shall never be truly righteous until you give in alms what you dearly cherish. And in the Jewish faith, we know uh, Solomon said these words. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. Now, I did all this religious stuff, but then I was like, how about an atheist? And here's Richard Dawkins, a prominent atheist. Let us try to teach generosity and altruism 
Because we are born selfish. Folks, if you get a group of people together, regardless of where they're at religiously or what they're thinking, when they all get together, they all really truly do believe what Jesus said when he said these words. Let's go to the next slide. Let's read this out loud together, all together in one. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I know some of you are like, I'm not so sure. So for those of you who are scientific people, I did some research this week, and they actually did some brain mapping on giving. It's called the Generosity Project. And what they did is they actually kind of looked at the brain when it would give, and what they found is that there were more endorphins at a greater amount and serotonin uh, shooting in the brain than any other time in these giving areas of the brain. And they were trying to compare it to what it would be like. And they said it would be like going to a fancy, famous restaurant that is extremely expensive with the person in the world that you love the most. And there was this sense, they actually called it the giver's glow, that people would actually glow. Maybe you've experienced it before, where you give something. Uh, Christmas just came up, and we give, and we're, we're so excited because when we give, it's such a gift to us. I mean, when we give, it just does something. It does something to us physically in our brains when we're able to do that. Folks, when we give, there is freedom that happens in our lives and our heart is set free. And when we hoard and we hold back and we don't use our resources in a way that allows us to give, what comes are things like shame and pressure and then debt comes and it darkens our heart. But when you have a relationship with money that doesn't control you, then you're able to be generous in how you give. You don't have to go down the road of always fearing the chains of debt. So, here's the truth. Back to our uh, kind of thing. God gives. Most of us in this room probably would agree. That's why you're here. You're like, hey, Uh, I believe that God gives. I want to try to figure him out, regardless of where you're at on the spiritual spectrum. Then with that, he wants us to actually use what we have. He entrusts us to rule over the things that we have. And then he says, from these three things, then, I want you to serve. I want you to give to my kingdom so that it doesn't become a God to you. You actually give a priority test. And then I want you to save so that if there's a rainy day, you're able to come through it and then to be able to spend the rest. Sarah and Chris Lopez walked into the doors of the jar in 2009, and they were dead broke. They both worked full-time jobs, but they didn't know how to manage their money. And they fought about it, and they were anxious about it, and at the end of the month, there were times in which they didn't have enough food, and they finally had a daughter, and they're like, we can't take our daughter through this. And finally, in a moment of just like, God, do something, we were teaching on what we're talking about today, and we offered a class called Financial Peace University. There's a little um, insert in your program. And Sarah looked at that, and she said, I'm doing it, and I want you to look at how her story has changed. 
Take a look at the screen. My name is Sarah Lopez, and I've been coming to the JAR for six years now. Um, Chris and I started 16 years ago with nothing to eat. An apartment that we really couldn't afford. We were two young kids, thought we knew it all. We never had any savings. We've never been on a vacation together in the 16 years we've been together. We've never been able to do anything that we wanted to do because we never had the money and savings to do it. Every year in January, I always heard Chris talk about Financial Peace University. I always wanted to do it. I know that there, were, there was a better way to use my money. Um, Financial Peace University is a nine-week course that teaches you how to not only manage your money um, the biblical way and God's way, but it also teaches you how to invest, teaches you about life insurance, teaches you how to save money for a down payment on a house. It teaches you common sense stuff that society doesn't teach you. Um, last January, while we were sitting in the gym at the Y, I just began to pray when I heard Chris talk about financial peace. I just began to ask God, God, please make this happen for my family. And I just instantly heard a whisper of, just do it. And so I went home and I just did it. I looked up Dave Ramsey. I looked up what financial peace was all about. The first thing you need to do is evaluate your spending. You have to, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how little money you make. If you can't manage $100, you won't be able to manage $1,000. It's all about managing what you have and living within your means instead of everybody else's. In the last 18 months, we have both accumulated a savings. So far, we have paid off over $16,000 in debt. Uh, we are credit card free, student loan free. We have had enough extra money to pay for our first family vacation to Disney with cash. We are not spending every paycheck, you know, paying on what we did in the past. It means that we have a freedom to do what we want to do for our future. Isn't that a cool story? It's a cool story. They actually went to Disney uh, last week. And uh, Chris came up to me on Friday. They went to Fight Club, which, by the way, if you're interested in, like, working on your marriage, you should come Friday at uh, Fight Club. And um, he came up to me, and he, had, he said, dude, i got to show this to you. I, I like, I'm really excited about it. And uh, so he, he had it behind his back, and he pulled it back, and he had a lightsaber. And he said, I spent a lot of money, but I had it. And uh, I wanted to give myself a gift. And all of a sudden, he, like, turned this thing on. I was like, and it's like, you know, felt like uh, Darth Vader was, like, right beside me or something, you know. Um, hey, you know what? You hear a story like that, and you're like, yeah, but I don't know if I could do it. Folks, Chris and Sarah didn't think they could either. 
And I want to encourage you that in your program, there is an actual uh, card on Financial Peace University. I'd love for you to pull it out because we want to be the type of church that doesn't just like say, hey, you need to get better at doing this. We want to give you practical steps. And so on February 10th, uh, we will be providing uh, this opportunity for you. You can uh, go ahead and sign up on our app. Uh, you just go to the app. You click on there. If you want to go to Guest Connections, uh, you can do that as well. And this could be a huge benefit. It might be the greatest thing you could reset in 2020 is how I handle and manage my finances. And we've seen, you know, uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of people find financial freedom in this. And so, you know what, I was really excited that Chris and uh, Sarah were able to go to Disney. But this is what I was most excited about. They have actually chosen to live this plan. And so they give right off the top 10% of their resources. And as I was thinking about their story, this is what came to my mind, a story that I just learned recently. Um, about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago, there was one of, our peop- one of our kids in our student ministry called Impact. And this kid was challenged because your resources that you give, give us an opportunity for a building where on Sunday nights we can teach our kids. And this particular kid was challenged to invite another kid to church. And so Easter of last year, this other kid came for the first time. And he brought his parents with him. And they were all sitting right here for the very first time on Easter Sunday. And they just kept coming more and more and more and start growing closer to God. And finally, uh, this young uh, boy said, I want to give my life to Christ. And so the YMCA, this last year, we opened up the doors for a baptism. And his life, he was baptized and his life was changed for eternity. And his parents keep coming and, and they're, they, they're seeing God work in their life. And this is what I want to tell you. Had people not given resources for our student ministry, that kid would have never been asked to come. And without that, they would have never come to this place where you pay for the lights, you pay for the heat, you pay for whatever we rent here. And then they were able to hear about God. And they heard that over and over again until finally one day he was like, I want to give my life to Christ. And so, you know, the why doesn't just say, come on in. We have to pay for that, too. And then his life got transformed. And now his family says, and I think about Chris and Sarah Lopez, that they're like, I get to be a part of that. Like, I actually get uh, to be a part of investing in someone's eternity. And I pray that many of you this year will either say, I'm going to do FPU and I'm going to work on this and I'm going to reset my finances in 2020. Or for some of you, you've got the finances. You've just never taken the step of saying, I'm going to prioritize God first in my life. And you would start with giving regularly to a point of a tithe to Christ's church. And then I wonder what other stories might be able to be told because you chose to be generous and to give joyfully.